costumes for him. It's so good to be with you this morning. It's exciting. It's fun. We're back in, in the main hall, which is fun. And um, we're continuing our series on the cost. We're looking at what uh, the words of Jesus in the Bible, in this book, what they really mean. And if we measure up to what we've been asked. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. Sometimes that's, uncha- that's challenging. Uh, but the heart and the prayer behind this series is that as we kind of let go of things that maybe in the past held us back, that we will experience more of God's love, that we'll experience more of his presence, more of his power and his glory. So today we are in Matthew 18. Uh, we're in verses 15 to 20. Um, I would love to have a Bible uh, page number for you, but I don't. So if someone does work that out on the, on the house Bible, if you can shout that out, that would be helpful. Um, but Matthew 18, this uh, chapter starts with Jesus being asked the question by his disciples, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And what Jesus maps out in this whole chapter is that this is how we should live. He gives us a framework, a blueprint for the community of how we should live that attracts God's presence. That's what we're longing for. That's what we're yearning for. And Jesus shows us what will attract his presence and conversely what won't. So we see in verses 1 to 5 when he's asked who is the greatest, or if you're a sports fan like me, who is the GOAT? Who is the greatest of all time? Jesus says we have to be like children to enter the kingdom. There's, we have to have humility to enter the kingdom. That humility attracts his presence. In verses 10 to 13, Jesus tells this parable of the lost sheep and um, of going after the one, of leaving the 99, of having an attitude, a hunger for the lost. That's what attracts his presence. And in the verses just after this, uh, in verses 21 to 35, Jesus again tells a parable, a story of when asked how many times we should forgive one another. And uh, Peter asks, is it seven times? Thinking that he's right, seven, that perfect number, is that right? And Jesus says, no, seven, seven times. It's unlimited, it's that forgiveness, that forgiveness when we forgive one another, that attracts his presence. And in this passage, Jesus expresses the importance of unity in our relationships and being together. And so today that we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about being united in harmony. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to read the Bible. We're also going to hear stories of me having uh, ambitions to be in a boy band going horribly wrong, of uh, hearing about Snow White, of uh, hearing about uh, a golf shot that went horribly wrong as well, and also remembering the viral sensation that was Salt Bay of 2017, if anyone remembers him. But, yeah, all right. Don't worry, Lisa. All will be explained. All will be explained. In my teenage years, I was quite confident. I, I like to show off a little bit. I, you can't imagine that now, can you? I like to think of myself as a bit of a showman. I've been humbled so many times, I've realized that's not the case. Um, but one time, me and my mate Adam, uh, we were teenagers, we thought we were pretty cool, and we decided to enter a talent show at a summer youth festival, mainly just to kind of up our profile of the ladies. You know, like, oh, yeah, there we are, looking quite good. Adam played the guitar. I sang, and we decided that we were going to sing the Westlife classic, Flying Without Wings. Now, kids, youth, anyone, Westlife were kind of like the 90s One Direction. And maybe you don't even know who One Direction are anymore, which is quite sad. Um, But we thought we were like hashtag heartthrobs. We wore the white t-shirt. We had the jeans on. We'd practice the key change. We'd practice sitting on the stool and then standing up. It was all going to be great. We had all the moves. Yeah, doing, doing that. All those kind of classic moves. When we performed, I sang with all my might. I thought I'd absolutely nailed it until uh, we got to the point where there was judges of a panel, kind of like Britain's Got Talent, X Factor, whatever you like, and I got some pretty bad feedback. 
the reality was that while Adam was playing, unlike our worship band who are all in tune and all in key today, I was singing out of tune. I was singing out of key completely the whole song. He was in A and I was in B, or I don't know. I don't really do keys, but as you can as you can imagine, I had been singing out of tune the whole song and it sounded awful. Have you ever been in that situation where you've heard that? Awful. <laughs> yes. It sounds like you were there, Amy. <laughs> the point is, we need harmony in our relationships. No matter what the melody, what the story is, if we are out of tune with one another, it's not going to sound nice. But the flip side, when you get it right, what a sound that makes. Whether that's your favourite pop song, whether that's your favourite classical piece of music, or whether that's some bars from your favourite rap almost got away with that one, didn't I? Music works best when everything is in harmony. And the same is true of our relationships. And the world around us, as in the people that don't know Jesus, but they know that we know Jesus, they are watching us to see if we are different to everyone else. And the key to this is how we love one another in the ugly moments, when we don't get on, when it's difficult, when life is tough. That is the difference when we are in harmony, united in harmony, when it's ugly. And um, that creates harmony, and that unity is attractive. It's attractive to others, but it also attracts the presence of God. And in 1 Corinthians 13, just before Paul's beautiful and eloquent poetic verses on love, he starts off, he says this to the church, he says, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong, or a clanging cymbal. And Paul is speaking in the context of spiritual gifts. But the same principle can be said for our relationships. If we don't have love at the centre, it's going to be an awful racket. And how society can see relationships, friendships today, can be something like this. It can be disposable, they can be single use, they can be for instant gratification, for gain. And we see things like, we see the, the hit TV show Love Island, Love and invert commas. Well, that is where it's almost that. That is what the goal is of like, this is what I can take from my relationship. Whether that's sexual or not, this is what I can take. This is what I can take. And that is not how we want to be. We want to be called to be different. So our question today is how do we love with beauty in the ugly moments of relationship? So that's where we're going this morning. Strap in. It's going to be a fun ride. And let's read Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20 here on the screen behind. Let's read it out for us now. If your brother or sister sins, and other translations say, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them.
So our question again is how do we love with beauty in the ugly moments of relationship? And before uh, we get fully into this question, there's just a couple of things, a couple of guidelines around the subject and this passage that are helpful to point out. So firstly, these words, move over here so you don't hit everyone over here and I can't see. Um, these words are for Christians, not unbelievers. So um, as Christians, when we know Jesus, as Chuck was talking about last week, where we were living in a different compatibility to where we are now. We were living in the old system, but actually the new system has come. We're called to a higher standard. So when we're thinking about these words, when we're thinking about uh, what is going on here, it's about those who are Christians within the church, those who are supposed to be united in harmony, not for those who are unbelievers yet, but not, not for those who are unbelievers, but those who know and love Jesus so far. And also, these words are for sins or for things that have been committed against us. So, again, the NIV translation of this isn't great, but as most other translations have the phrase, it says, if your brother sins against you. It's not if your brother or sister sins against your mate that then goes and tells you what's happened, or if your brother goes and sins and you overhear, and then you decide that you're going to share that with someone else. It's for those in the situation. It's not the armchair critic. It's for those in the situation to deal with. We, if we're brought into that we can point them towards this we can point them towards resolution but not for us to take over jesus's words aren't a license for us attacking people who hurt us or a license to start a gossip campaign but they're designed to reconcile those who disagree so that all christians can live in harmony and today we're focusing on the principle that we find in this passage not necessarily the full process but the principles for unity and harmony in relationships not the nitty-gritty of actually how to take these steps, step by step. If you want to find out, want to talk about it after, please speak to me after. But we're going for the principles this morning. So, we love with beauty in the ugly moments by loving with humility. Verse 15, it says, If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Jesus paints us this picture of what attracts his presence of God in this chapter. And when talking about relationships, he's talking about what he has seen from the disciples, both before this and also through the Bible. We see that uh, the disciples, they often fall into that comparison trap that's causing tension among them. In Matthew 18, those first five verses, they're desperate to find out which of them is the greatest. Is, is it me? Is it me? After the transfiguration where, where Jesus appeared in his full uh, godly form to them, to the three. Uh, these, all the disciples are kind of like, have I missed out? Am I, am I not the greatest? They're desperate to find out where they almost rank in the system. Later on, Matthew 20, uh, we meet uh, or we hear about the Sons of Thunder. I always thought the Sons of Thunder, that's a cool name, isn't it? It's a pretty cool name. It sounds a bit like ACDC, Thunderstruck, da -da 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 that kind of thing, until you realize that the Sons of Thunder, they've got their mum to ask Jesus if they can sit at the right or the left. They're like, oh, could we get a better seat at the table? Come on, Mum, you ask Ben. And John 21, where Peter has just been reinstated uh, by Jesus, he's just been brought back into the fold. He sees John and he's like, what about him? What's going to happen to him? And Peter's, Jesus is like, you don't understand. Whatever happens to him, that's not your concern. But your concern is being brought back in and building my church. 
And we think of that and we laugh at that, but also there's that tension because we can always have that comparison ourselves. That was as normal then as it is now. But Jesus is answering to this situation of this is how we should be with one another. We should be united, but we should also come in humility. Not looking at others, but looking at ourselves and thinking, okay, am I in a humble situation? So, about six weeks before Jill and I got married, uh, me and my dad, uh, we went out for a day of golfing at a local Aberdeenshire club. Uh, Neither of us are the best golfers, um, but we give it a good go. Uh, we try and be a bit more, a bit better than Happy Gilmore, but you know, it just depends. And it was a good opportunity for us to relax, uh, to spend some classic father-son chat together uh, before the big day. We had a group on voucher, so we were. Uh, what that meant was for a bargain of like I don't know twenty quid, uh, we were able to have two rounds of golf plus a lunchtime bacon roll. I mean, that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? And the first round came and went; that was all fine. The bacon roll came and went; that was all fine as well. And we're playing the tenth hole for the second time. And um, we hit our drives. And as often what happens when I play golf is I hit my drive one way and my partner hits the drive the other way. And I'm like, right, I'll see you, I'll see you at the next hole. And you kind of like, you know, zigzag. Maybe we'll cross over as we, I go there and he goes there. Um, but basically, um, I was all the way over here. And my dad had kind of hit his shot into the woods. And I'm like, where's the dad? No worries, it's all good. And, um, but I couldn't see where he was. So all I heard were three noises. The first one was the thud of the club hitting the ball. The second one was the crack of the ball hitting a tree. The third was the scream of pain from my father as the ball came back straight towards him and hit him in the head. That's an incredibly scary moment of seeing your, hearing your dad just yelping and, not yelping, roaring, roaring in pain and um, rushing over to see him. What happened was the ball, he hit the ball made a pretty good connection with it and it hit straight off the tree and gone straight back and just hit above his eye socket just on his eyelid so he was pouring with blood um it was really horrible and as it was the 10th hole for golf fans the 10th hole is often the furthest away from the clubhouse so i got him into a good position i'd done some uh first aid so i got him sitting up i got him holding putting pressure on the wound and then i'm running back to the clubhouse as fast as i can and fortunately I find uh, the groundskeeper who has a buggy and I tell him about the situation. He comes, uh, we get my dad on there, uh, we get him back, we then take him to hospital, uh, he gets stitches, he's all okay and actually his uh, swelling has gone down. You can't see in our wedding photos, you can't see that actually he's been hit with a golf club only six weeks before. It's like a minor miracle. But after all that happened, after the drama has subsided, I was like, Dad, what actually happened? Like, how, how did you do that? <laughs> Impressive. And what he told me is he went to the woods and he was like, okay, yeah, here's the ball. There's some trees there, but it'll be fine. And he decided on his club selection, he decided he was going to hit a three wood in the deep rough. A three wood. Now, if you've ever played golf before, you will know that three wood is not meant for the rough. You might want a wedge, something like that, something you'll actually be able to get connection to. But a three wood. He was almost like just trying to power it out. No matter what the cost, he was going to power it out. And um, it was a recipe for disaster. And the point is, to be united in harmony, our club selection is so important. If we go into a situation where we're needing to reconcile with someone and we just decide power is the only option, then all guns blazing, it can literally come back and hit us in the face. We need to have 
different clubs or different approaches, if you will, for different situations. To laugh with beauty in the ugly moments, we need the common humanity. That should be our short direction. He's asking us to pursue this principle of humility. And when he says, Jesus is really kind to us, he says, if, if someone sins against you, if you have a fallout, and really we know it's not if, it's when, isn't it? When, when we fall out with someone, because we're broken people, we hurt one another. That's just the case. I wish it wasn't true, but it's just the case. What we do next is what attracts his presence, humility on both sides. So maybe it's humility from the one who had been wronged. We need to go to them. We might not. Need, we don't want to have. We don't have wait for them to come to us. But actually, we need to say, actually, I've been wronged. I need to go to them in total humility. I need to recognize that. We maybe need to go of pointing the fault out and saying, hey, I might be wrong, but actually, this is what the situation and this is how it affected me. This is how I felt about it. We need to have humility uh, between the two of us, coming to the person humbly together, not through others, not via the phone, not via the text, not via email, but by face to face. But also we need humility from the one who has wronged. Three times in this passage it says we're called to listen. Listen, listen, listen. And sometimes we don't want to listen, do we? Sometimes we don't want to hear it. We don't like, no, 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 no. But we're called to be humble and to listen. And the goal is unity. If they listen, you've won them over. Winning over to see the sin, not the person, but to see what the wrong and say, oh yeah, we can address that together. We can have repentance. We can have reconciliation. We can create a platform for God's grace, for his mercy to work. Isn't that an attractive thing for people from the outside to see? Isn't that what God says, oh, that's an attractive thing. There my presence will be when there's that reconciliation, when there's that grace, when there's that mercy. Humility is not easy, though. It attacks our pride. It's like, oh, I didn't realize that was me. It puts others before us, but that's exactly what Jesus does. So maybe the next time where we get an email or a text or something we feel wronged about, we're like, oh, actually, we need to just take that moment to stop, to breathe, to wait, and think, how can I do this in a humble way? How can I do that in humility? So when we love humbly, we love with beauty in the ugly moments. Secondly, when we, we love with beauty in the ugly moments of relationships, when we love with transparency. Verse 16, it says, But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. We're called to love with humility, but also love with transparency. Jesus says if the first approach hasn't worked, the next step is to take one or two others. It's almost there's a principle there of holding us each other to account. And I um, I see this verse, one or two others, and the kind of uh, the mischievous side of me thinks, oh well, one or two others, that means I can get ahead of the game, can't I? I can tell my side, I can spin it my way before confronting the issue. I can fall into that trap of skipping the first person and going straight to the others and then almost being like, I have an issue with you and Larry and Barry agree. And I can be like, yeah, I've got them now. I've got them where I want them. But the reality is, is that's triangulation. Triangulation leads to gossip. It leads to rumor. We need to have that humility but also that transparency to be like, oh, actually, I need to go to them first. I need to go 
through that principle first and point out situations. And also when I'm taking those witnesses, that doesn't mean what that, what that worked out is, as in I'm going to get people on my side. It's a very different thing. Witnesses doesn't mean that we gossip. doesn't mean that we um, tell people our story before them. We want to have a culture of honour to one another, to be united. But the witnesses and the testimony, they come to reference back in Deuteronomy 19. And in Deuteronomy 19, it was a legal term. It was a court of law term to proceed with the case. You needed to have witnesses, as we would in our court of law today. And the witnesses, they would take evidence from what they have seen and they would and heard, and they would decide for themselves what the court, the course of action is. It was a neutral phrase almost of like, this is a neutral person coming into that situation, not someone who's on one side already, but a neutral phrase. We need to have people that we can come to and say, hey, I have this situation, I've gone through that step. Would you come and would you be that neutral person, that neutral witness, as I come and I pose that question again? Um, the movies recently, there's been lots of remakes. There's not been many original films, has there? There's been so many different franchises, so many things. I mean, I can't lie, I do love a franchise, but there's not been many um, new ones. And uh, Disney have done quite a lot of remakes recently, haven't they? They've done quite a few like live-action ones. I still quite, I can't quite understand how The Lion King is a live-action film, unless they actually had actual lions. Uh, that, that doesn't work. Um, but some of them be good, some of them not so good. I mean, I like The Jungle Book. Did anyone like The Jungle Book? Yeah. Uh, then we see Dumbo. Is that good? Yeah. Oh, I mean, high praise for Dumbo. Poor elephant. Um, but I heard recently that one they're remaking, or they're redoing as kind of a live-action musical, is Snow White. Is anyone a big fan of Snow White? I mean, for the sake of this, you're a really big fan of Snow White, right? Yeah, woo, Snow White! Can you believe they made Snow White in 1937? Gosh, that feels... I mean, yeah. I mean, I hope it doesn't make anyone feel particularly old, but... It's, it's a long time. And the plot of Snow White, she was this lonely princess who um, was living with her stepmother, the queen, who was very vain. And every day, the daily routine of the queen was she asked, what did she ask? She asked, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? Very good, guys. And um, for years, the mirror says, it's you, queen. I can't remember what she says, but she says, it's you, queen. And one day, when she's going through her daily routine, the mirror says, it's actually Snow White. And this leads the queen down a plot of potential murder, of deception, of poison, of envy and jealousy. All because she heard something that she didn't want to hear. And the point is, when we're a witness in this situation, in these moments, we're almost like a mirror to the situation. And we're holding up what can be seen. And a mirror shows us everything. Often when we look in the mirror in the morning, we wish that a mirror didn't show us everything. I know I feel like that. But a mirror shows us everything. It shows us sometimes something we don't want to see. It shows us, as the person who's been wronged, sometimes shows us our blind spots. It sometimes shows us our insecurities. It sometimes shows us that actually we could be wrong in this moment. And these witnesses must be a mirror out of the situation to help resolve the situation. Without bias, the mirror helps us love with transparency. Everything is seen. We're an open book. We're open to be wrong. But when we live with transparency, that helps us in these ugly moments. Because we can say, actually, I might be wrong. I want to I have the mirror here. So actually, if there's something that I need to repent of, if there's something I'm wrong about, then actually I can be in that situation. But also so that we can get to the bottom of the situation. Not so that we can have divisive sides, but actually so we can just see where that is going. 
to love with beauty in the ugly moments. We love with humility, transparency, and finally, we love prayerfully. The last two verses in this are just such lovely verses, but it's so interesting, the context that they're in. It says, Truly I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. We can look on those verses as a real comfort sometimes, can't we? We can think, oh, where two or three are gathered, Jesus is here too. That's an encouragement. Maybe if we've gathered people in a connect group or we've gathered people at a prayer meeting and there's not been many people, we say, oh, where two or three are gathered, Jesus is still here. That's so true. And that is an encouragement. But the context is that it's within dealing with our relationship. We're dealing with reconciliation. It means that prayer should be the principle throughout these situations. That actually when two people come together and we sort our differences and we say, actually, we're going to live a new way. We're going to start a new thing. That Actually, we're going we're gonna to reconcile. We're going to repent. Jesus is there. He is cheering them on going, yes, that is what I want for my church. That is what I want for my people to be united in heaven. these situations, praying before, praying during, praying after, maybe even asking people of saying, hey, I'm not going to tell you anything about a situation, but I've got a meeting, I'm struggling with it, could we pray for that? You don't need to know anything else, just could you be praying, could you be praying? How do we do that? How do we make sure our meetings are filled with prayer? So I thought it would be a helpful reminder for you maybe, hopefully a helpful reminder, and it's coming uh, to our viral sensation that I talked about, if we remember Salt Bay. Does anyone remember Salt Bay? Oh my goodness. Will Feezy remember Salt Bay? Dan, are you? Yeah, good, good. Okay. I'm not as out of touch as I thought. Um, Salt Bay, he is a Turkish uh, butcher. He was a chef who went viral for how he prepped his meat. Uh, so he was a butcher, and what he did was uh, he would put these videos up on YouTube, and he wore sunglasses while he was like um, getting the meat ready. A bit bizarre. Um, and he would kind of suavely cut meat. I don't know how you suavely cut meat, but that's that's how he cut meat, very suavely. And finishing off his pièce de résistance was that he would sprinkle some salt on the meat to properly season it. And how you and I would sprinkle some salt is we go like this, wouldn't we? Yeah. Maybe you go like that. Maybe chuck it. I don't know. How salt they sprinkled salt is that he gets into the crane-like position. Oh, can I get my elbow? Gets into the crane-like position, has some salt in his hand, and he just kind of drops it, and it kind of trickles off his arm and onto the meat. That's how he does it. I mean, food hygiene standards, I don't know what they would say about that, but it became this like viral sensation. All the footballers were going over to his restaurant so that they could say that they ate at the restaurant at Salt Bay. Um, all these things just falls off the arm. It was this viral sensation. So the point is that we need to season our conversations with prayer. Just think of that. The next time you're like, oh, I'm in this situation. Just think about that. Oh, we need to season. I know, it's a bit cheesy, isn't it? We need to season our conversations. Yeah, you could do it with a bit of phonetics. Season our, our conversations with prayer, with grace, and love. Just a reminder. It's just a helpful reminder every time. It's a silly reminder, but a helpful reminder maybe for some of us. Actually, oh, yeah. Am I being prayerful in this moment? Am I have bringing God's grace, his love into this? Jesus is calling his people to, to be united, to love with beauty. And that means dealing 
with sin, that we're dealing with things that aren't right, with conflict, with confrontation. But we need to see that our words, our actions, with grace, love, and prayer delivered. With humility, we make sure our heart is right. With transparency, we have the grace to admit we could be wrong. And with prayer, we make sure we have the love to pursue reconciliation and full restoration. To finish, what I'd love us to do is to take an opportunity. We've, we've heard a lot today, but take an opportunity to reflect on maybe just the situation you might be facing right now. So what I'd love you to do is maybe just close your eyes. And maybe just think about a situation where you've maybe fallen out with someone or there's, there's a dividing wall between you and them. Might be someone in this room right now. Might be someone who's not here, but they are a Christian. Think about that, and I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to help us to think about that. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. our ugly moments and to bring your beauty. Would you give us the humility to go, to walk across the room? Would you give us the transparency to be open, to be open to being corrected ourselves? Would you give us the courage and boldness to seize these conversations with your love, your grace, and your mercy as we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you that when two or three gather in your name, that you are with us as well. So we pray for these moments that are in our mind's eye at the moment. For you to go before us and be with us. So as we finish today, so for some of us, the response to the challenge is maybe walking across the room. And to be honest with you, I've had two situations this week where I've been in the wrong and I've had to apologize. And I've had to go and say, actually, I'm really sorry. Other times where maybe someone's actually told me, you have to apologize as well. That's awkward, isn't it? It's not easy. And I know in order to be united in harmony, in order to attract God's presence, that's the cost. That's the cost for all of us. That's the cost that we have to pay. And C.S. Lewis says this, which is comforting. He says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Yeah. It's so true. But actually, when we forgive, when we're united in harmony, we can be such an example of God and his presence to others. 1 John 4 says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete. When we reconcile, we show his love to the world. So for maybe for some of us, it's a practical moment this morning where actually uh, we need to arrange a time with someone to meet with them. Maybe it's not the time now, but actually you need to meet with them right away. 
for others, maybe we need to pray for boldness, for courage, for humility. And we always offer that opportunity.